Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband, Bob. Today, we will be reading Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 13, from the Common English Bible. Beginning at verse 1. Abraham traveled from there toward the land of the arid southern plain, and he settled as an immigrant in Gerar, between Kadesh and Shur. Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar took her into his household. But God appeared to Abimelech that night in a dream, and said to him, You are as good as dead because of this woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech hadn't gone near her, and he said, Lord, will you really put an innocent nation to death? Didn't he say to me, She's my sister? And didn't she, even she, say, He's my brother? My intentions were pure, and I acted innocently when I did this. God said to him in the dream, I know that your intentions were pure when you did this. In fact, I kept you from sinning against me. That's why I didn't allow you to touch her. Now return the man's wife. He's a prophet. He will pray for you so you may live. But if you don't return her, know that you and everyone with you will die. Abimelech got up early in the morning and summoned all of his servants. When he told them everything that had happened, the men were terrified. Then Abimelech summoned Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? What sin did I commit against you, that you have brought this terrible sin to me in my kingdom, by doing to me something that simply isn't done? Abimelech said to Abraham, What were you thinking when you did this thing? Abraham said, I thought to myself, No one reveres God here, and they will kill me to get my wife. She is truthfully my sister, my father's daughter, but not my mother's daughter, and she's now my wife. When God led me away from my father's household, I said to her, This is the loyalty I expect from you. In each place we visit, tell them, He's my brother. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah misled Pharaoh of Egypt by telling him that Sarah was merely Abraham's sister. While partially true, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister, this statement was intentionally deceptive. Abraham did not want Pharaoh to realize that Sarah was his wife. Abraham was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him and take Sarah for himself. Here again, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham misleads King Abimelech in the same way, for exactly the same reason. Though this strategy did not serve him well in Egypt, Abraham uses it again anyways. It does not work well with Abimelech either, as Abraham's deception is once again discovered. When confronted by Abimelech, Abraham says something significant. He explains that he has asked Sarah to consistently mislead people about their marital status out of loyalty to him as her husband. The Greek Septuagint portrays Abraham as asking Sarah to do what is just or righteous by honoring his request. The Aramaic Targum of Onkelos depicts him as asking her to affirm her devotion to him. These are the two oldest available manuscripts of this passage. Abraham's request raises an important question 
that is frequently addressed in complementarian literature. Do wives have a duty to obey their husbands? Should Sarah have gone along with her husband's sinful scheme? The term complementarian, according to a former president of the self-titled Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, is a modern term for patriarchal. It suggests that women complement men by submitting to their authority. Through a far-reaching international ministry, one influential complementarian minister has said, Yes, people should always obey authority figures, no matter what they are asking you to do. He has also propagated the notion that men have authority over women in marriage. According to this man's basic principles for successful living, Sarah should indeed have honored Abraham's request that she intentionally mislead others on his behalf. If his request was sinful, she should simply have prayed that God would change his mind. Other complementarians embrace a similar principle, but do not take it quite so far. If asked to sin, they say, a woman can say no to her husband. If his request is not sinful, however, she is allegedly required by God to comply. One complementarian applied this to the case of a man asking his wife to play golf with him. He said that even if she does not enjoy golf, she should say yes to this request out of respect for him and his alleged authority. On an even more disturbing note, other complementarians have taught that women are required by God to obey their husbands in the bedroom. These examples of patriarchal teaching raise two important questions. Number one, does God expect Christians to obey authority figures who ask them to do something wrong? Number two, does the Bible really teach that men have authority over women in marriage? A biblical answer to the first question is an unequivocal no. God does not expect his people to obey authority figures who ask them to do something wrong. Jesus' disciples, for instance, were told by the religious leaders of the day not to teach people that Jesus was the Messiah. Their response was, we must obey God rather than men, and they continue to share God's message. And that's found in Acts 5.29. Jesus told the same religious leaders that their oppressive traditions were actually keeping people from God. In Matthew 23:13, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In Mark 7, verse 8, Jesus rebuked these leaders for confusing human traditions with the will of God. One of the human traditions that continues to oppress people in the church today is the false teaching that authority must be male. Just as the Bible does not teach people to obey authority figures who encourage them to engage in sinful behavior, it similarly does not teach that husbands have authority in the home because they are male. Paul's alleged command in Ephesians 5.22, Wives submit to your husbands, forms the foundation of the complementarian view that husbands must exercise authority over their wives in Christian marriage. 
This supposed command to wives is often supplemented and reinforced by headings that have been added to the biblical text by translators. Immediately above Ephesians 5.22 in the Open Bible, New King James Version, for example, we read the heading, Wives, Submit to Your Husbands. The New American Standard Version adds yet another imperative statement directed exclusively to wives in Ephesians 5.24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. In the oldest available Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, which is Papyrus 46 and Codex Vaticanus, Ephesians 5.22 does not have a separate command to wives, saying, Wives, submit to your husbands. The first instance on record of a second command, submit, being inserted into the Greek text of Ephesians 5.22 occurs in the middle of the 4th century A.D., this alteration of the Greek coincides with the strong patriarchal shift in Bible translation and commentary that we find in the 4th century work of St. Augustine and St. Jerome. Also, neither the heading, Wives Submit to Your Husbands, nor the additional phrase in Ephesians 5.24, telling wives that they ought to be submissive, can be found in any Greek manuscripts whatsoever. In this passage, the Apostle Paul introduces the idea of submission in Ephesians 5.21. After telling all Christians to be filled with the Spirit, in verse 18, he then explains what this will look like, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ, in verse 21. In other words, all Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit are to voluntarily assume a disposition of love and humility towards one another. Verse 22 then adds the phrase, Wives to your husbands, as an example of what this mutual submission will look like. In grammatical terms, be filled with the Spirit is the imperative verb. Submitting one to another is a participle phrase that describes being filled with the Spirit. And wives to your husbands is yet another phrase that qualifies submitting one to another by providing an example. Simply put, wives to your husbands is not a complete sentence. It cannot stand on its own as a separate command. There is no new and separate command directed only to wives. Patriarchal translators create the illusion that there are two different kinds of commands one in Ephesians 5.21, directed to all Christians, and another in Ephesians 5.22, directed exclusively to wives. The added command appears to reinforce a gender-based hierarchy in Christian homes. It is important to recognize that this is not grammatically possible in the Greek text of the oldest available manuscripts. It is only possible if a second imperative verb is inserted into verse 22. The submission that exists in marriage from wives to husbands is one example of the humility and loving service that all Christians who are filled with the Spirit are called upon to demonstrate. In Ephesians 5.24, Paul does not tell wives that they ought to be submissive to their husbands. Rather, he makes an observation regarding the way things were in ancient Greek, Roman, and Jewish cultures. 
the verb he uses in verse 24 in reference to wives is hupotacitai, meaning wives are subject. It is a present indicative middle or passive verb. When understood in its passive voice, it is not a command. Rather, it is used to describe something as it already is. To understand the situation Paul is referring to, it is helpful to become familiar with the Greco-Roman and Jewish literature of the New Testament era concerning the relationship between husbands and wives. According to Greek philosophy, which was embraced throughout the Roman Empire, a man was indeed in charge of his household, and women were subject to his authority. According to Aristotle, women were to be viewed as the slaves and possessions of a man. A similar view of women was proposed by the Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria. In the eyes of first century Greeks, Romans, and Jews, men did indeed exercise authority over women, children, and slaves. This is the culture Paul is addressing in his letter, and he correctly observes that wives are subject to husbands. Instead of affirming this role, however, Paul says something very different. He tells husbands to imitate the love of Jesus, who laid aside his divine authority to make himself a servant. As he says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Unlike the passive verb Paul uses to describe the pre-existing submission of wives, the verb directed towards husbands is present, active, and imperative. Simply put, it is a command. Paul is indeed telling husbands what they ought to do. In fact, he uses this exact language not with wives, but rather with husbands in Ephesians 5.28, which reads, So ought husbands to love their wives. This is not a command that Greek, Roman, or Jewish men would have been accustomed to hearing. Men filled with the Spirit, however, would submit themselves to other Christians, including women, including their wives. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. But some may argue, doesn't Ephesians 5.23 tell us that a husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church? Paul does indeed use the Greek word for head, kephale, in Ephesians chapter 5 when referring to husbands. In ancient Greek literature, however, and elsewhere in Paul's letter, the word kephale was not used to mean leader. In Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, for example, Paul describes Jesus in the following terms. The head, kephale, from whom the whole body is fitted and held together by every supporting ligament. And as each individual part does its work, the body grows and builds itself up in love. In other words, Jesus Christ is the source of the church's life and growth as it builds itself up with Christ-like love. Just as Christ's love and sacrifice were the source of the church's life and growth, so too should a husband's love and service be a source of life and nurturance to his marriage. For those interested in further information on a first-century Greek understanding of the word kephale, please feel free to read the chapter on headship in our book entitled Addressing Domestic Violence in the Church.
Understanding its original language and cultural context, how might we explain the Apostle Paul's overall message in Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 28? Everyone, be filled with the Spirit, submitting one to another, just as wives do to husbands, and just as the Church does to Christ. Husbands, you ought also to love and serve your wives, just as Christ loved and served the Church, giving His life for her on the cross. As Christ's love and service is the source of life to the Church, so a husband's love and service is to be a source of life in the marriage. In Ephesians 5.28-30, Paul explains that the whole passage is a picture of Jesus' love for the Church and the Church's response. Jesus loved us first. He took upon himself the form of a servant. In humility, he went to the cross. His love, humility, and willingness to serve led to our salvation. The Church responds to the love of Jesus by imitating it, by responding with our own love humility, and willingness to serve. Marriage is meant to be a picture of this relationship. Husbands and wives are to relate to one another with love, humility, and a willingness to serve. Husbands are not called to be the leaders of their wives, but to imitate Christ's love and service to them. Wait a moment, some may say. Aren't all Christian wives expected to follow the example of Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Isn't this what we are taught in 1 Peter 3 verse 6? 1 Peter 3 6 only appears to teach male authority and female submission if it is taken out of context and isolated from its surrounding verses. Some English translations of the Bible even add language to this chapter that cannot be found in any Greek manuscripts of the Bible whatsoever. In 1 Peter 3 5 for example, the New Living Translation says, This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. In the original Greek language of this verse, there is no mention whatsoever of a husband's authority. That language has been added to the text by English translators. Sarah did call Abraham Lord, but in its ancient Hebrew context, this word was simply a term of respect used even to address servants, as seen in Genesis 24, verses 17 and 18. Throughout Peter's letter, he encourages believers in Christ to respond to adversity by imitating the love and humility of Jesus Christ. He tells them not to return evil for evil. This is the context of Peter's instructions to wives. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter addresses wives who have unbelieving husbands. At the time Peter wrote this letter, the Roman Empire was hostile towards the Christian faith. Peter encouraged Christian wives to relate to unbelieving husbands with Christ-like love, even those who might be hostile towards Christianity. When Peter uses the word submit in his instructions to wives in 1 Peter 3 verse 1, it is the same word that Paul used in his instructions to all Christians in Ephesians 5.21, when he said, Submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. In both passages, the verb submit is in the middle voice, which means it is a reflexive action performed by the self upon the self.
The middle voice in Greek has no exact parallel in the English language, so it can be difficult for people to understand this word. Submit here means to voluntarily assume a disposition of love and humility towards others. It is not about a sense of duty or obligation towards others. 1 Peter 3.7 tells husbands who are believers to relate to their wives in the same way, showing consideration to them as weaker vessels. Throughout ancient Greek literature, this language was used to refer to those who were socially disempowered. According to Roman law, a woman had less social standing than a man. In this sense, she was weaker. Throughout the New Testament, we see that God chooses those whom the world considers weak to demonstrate his power. In Christ, Peter explains that women are elevated to the position of co-heirs with men in God's kingdom. Believing husbands are called upon to recognize this and show their wives honor accordingly. If husbands do not do this, Peter warns that God will not hear their prayers. What about the language in 1 Peter 3.6 that describes Sarah as obeying her husband? It is essential to understand the meaning of the Greek language used in this verse. The Greek verb is hupakuein. In the ancient Greek literature of a writer named Xenophon, this word is used interchangeably with a similar word, akusein. Both words were used to refer to a judge who would give people in court a fair hearing. While Peter uses hupakusen to describe Sarah's behavior towards Abraham, the Greek Septuagint version of Genesis 21.12 uses a form of akusein to describe Abraham's behavior towards Sarah. In Genesis 21.12, God told Abraham, Do whatever Sarah tells you, akua, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Just as Paul encouraged all Christians, male and female, husbands and wives, to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, so too did Sarah and Abraham give one another a fair hearing in their marriage relationship. Mutual respect, love, and humility are what the Bible teaches about Christian marriage.